Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Revelation chapter 6. And I suspect for a lot of people, uh, this is one of the chapters that people uh, love to explore the most, mostly because of the four horsemen uh, imagery is, is so well established, uh, not just in, in uh, Christian culture, but just uh, the broader American culture in general. Um, and so it is here where, where we start this. But, but we need to remember uh, that Revelation is written in the order is written on purpose. And so we remember we've moved from an exploration of, of the earth. John is in Patmos. Um, he writes to the churches who, who are struggling. Uh, many of them are, are under persecution and, and they've got internal issues. And so, so we get a very earthly look at, um, in Revelation in the first three chapters. Four and five is a very uh, heavenly a vision, right? So, so the proverbial curtain is removed. Uh, John sees the worship of Creator Redeemer, uh, the Lion Lamb uh, of uh, that is Jesus. Well, in chapter six, now comes comes the action. So, so we get the worship of the Lamb who has taken the scroll, and now uh, he who is worthy to break its seals does so, starting in chapter six. And so, what we get in six is the breaking of the first six seals of the scroll. And then uh, we'll see, I believe in chapter 8, the seventh seal is, is broken, which opens up seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet opens up seven bowls. So uh, we're getting those first six. What you also find in Revelation is when you get a lot of action, you then get a pause. Um, J.R. Tolkien does the same thing in his writing. Um, and so chapter 6 is full of action. There's a lot going on here. In chapter 7, uh, we, we get the 144,000 imagery. So so everything slows down only to be picked up in, in 8 and 9. Well, let's look at this. Uh, verse 1, we, we meet the first horseman. Uh, the lamb opened one of the seven seals uh, and we see a white horse. Now, let me just pause here and, and say that this imagery of the white, uh, the red, the black, and the pale horse, uh, that imagery is actually taken from Zechariah chapter 1. We don't have time to, to look at that uh, in a different context. We, we probably would. Which means that our interpretation of Revelation 6, these first four seals, uh, should be connected to uh, what it is Zechariah is, is describing. Uh, look, look, you, you can't rightly understand Revelation without a robust understanding of the Old Testament. It is one of the things that makes it challenging. At times, John is paying homage to, to that imagery. At other times, he, he's saying, look, what the prophet uh, saw there is what I'm seeing here. So the interpretations should mirror one another. And that makes it difficult to understand. Boy, Jesus did the same thing in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, and so the Bible's full of apocalyptic genre literature. And so um, uh, the white horse and the, the red horse and the, all that is really no different. But in the white horse, it has a rider on it that has a bow, um, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, the, the uh, area of interpretation here is all over the map. I suspect uh, many who may be watching this come from a dispensationalist uh, background, uh, you know, where we have a rapture followed by seven years tribulation, followed by a thousand years of, um, um, of reign of Christ and all that sort of stuff. Uh, if that's the case, then, then uh, you see this as the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist or the power of the Antichrist. It's, it's put a different ways depending on who, who you're reading. And what they argue is that the reader on a white horse or the rider on the white horse, which, which to them symbols peace, 
is has a bow but no arrows it's striking that there's no arrows there and they are crowned and they come to conquer and so what you get is this talk of a one world government and the antichrist is the head over that um that's fine i'm not interested in really in saying this is right this is wrong um i think there may be some some truth to it but there are some problems with that perspective i'm not saying it just decimates the the view for example um it's a white horse and in in revelation the white horse is always associated with christ but not just revelation but in other passages as well um and so so what, what would we do with that uh, so there are some who say that actually what you have here is this white horse represents Christ himself um, and, and, and that he he comes to conquer the the language of conquering is uh, for Christ the lion imagery uh, is is found throughout Revelation um, and so because Revelation sees the cross itself as conquering um, but but there, there's problems with, with that interpretation as well. Uh, others would say uh, that it represents, you know, let's just say the Parthians. The Parthians uh, ruled and reigned around modern-day Iraq and Iran. The Romans never could conquer them. Uh, in fact, the Parthians, every time the Romans showed up, would push them back. Uh, some will say, look, uh, they would parade themselves at their victory on white horses. Uh, they, they would use bows as, as a con. Well, there's some problems with that interpretation as well. Everyone used bows. Even the Romans would, would celebrate on white horses. So, so, so that, that may not work. Some will say it's a specific um, uh, Caesar. Vespian is, is usually the one pointed out here. But it has problems as well. Um, one more interpretation worth, worth looking at, and that is um, that it isn't Jesus, but rather it's the word of Jesus, the gospel. And so, so through the gospel, what you have is a writer uh, empowered, but not with war, but uh, conquers by the word. And so uh, that would be consistent with what we have in the first five chapters. Remember, chapter five ends with them worthy as the lamb who was slain. Uh, and all the nations are gathered, worshiping uh, him. Well, my, my point here is not to tell you which one is right or wrong. I, I've, I've gone back and forth, particularly this morning in pre preparation um, with, with many of these. Your, your answer is really going to come down to your broader view of eschatology. Um, so if you're a dispensationalist, you're going to see this as the Antichrist, even though Antichrist, the word, is not found anywhere in Revelation. We make assumptions about, about the beast. We'll see later on. Uh, if, if you're an all-millennial, so you're, you're probably going to see it as a picture of, of Christ or the gospel. Or if you're a preterist, you're probably going to attach it to um, uh, one of the Caesars or the Parthians or something like that. The point is, is that the, the view you have coming into Revelation is going to affect your interpretation of this. Well, then it goes on to verse 3, and what we see is the bright red horse. The second seal is open, and its rider, you see there, verse 4, was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. He was given a great sword. And it is striking that if, if the red horse is taking peace, that must mean that the white horse, does, does he bring peace? Or is peace already there? I, I, I don't know. But it is striking that peace is, is taken, it is stolen from the earth. And what you have here is war. People slay one another, and he's given a great sword. Uh, and sword is, is often used in the Bible uh, to use of oppressive, oppressive uh, uh, government powers. Uh, so Romans 13, the, the government uses the sword, right, capital punishment, um, and other passages. Um, but um, um, 
one of the things that is noteworthy here, I think most people agree this is war. Uh, so there's not a lot of debate like it is with the white horse, the first first horseman. Uh, but one of the things worth noting, there, that language of slaying one another, that people would slay one another. There's a lot of debate as to what does that mean specifically. It could mean war in general, people against other people. Um, but it, there, there could be a specificity there that's often overlooked. Uh, if you want to, you can look at chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 18, verse 24, and other passages. The word slay is, is almost always in Revelation in context to the slain of the lamb. So we saw that in, in chapter 5, um, that, that John saw, saw a lamb as if he had been slain. It is often used, as it does in, in this chapter, as we'll see with the fifth seal, um, and later in chapter 18, um, in the context of, of the saints being martyred. And so some will say here that the war here isn't just war in general, but, but a particular war against the saints. Um, but then we go on to the third horseman. Uh, uh, the third seal is represented by a black horse. This is virtually everyone agrees as famine. Um, its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. This is typical for rationing. Um, for those who are familiar with um, history of World War II, this was, this was common, you, that the food was rationed throughout the history of the world. Uh, everything, uh, um, oftentimes food had to be rationed. Think of the story of Joseph, that all the food was brought into the storehouse and then rationed out. Um, I was uh, uh, studying uh, the other day, because I'm nerdy, um, what happened after Robert de Bruce, um, Scottish victory over uh, Edward II at, um, at, at that great, great battle, um, Band of Burke or whatever it is. And one of the things that, that Robert de Bruce did was he, he, he went into uh, Ireland, he tried to unite Scotland and Ireland, you know, to, to join two kings against England. Um, and what you had is, is through war, what came out of that was famine. And, and, and what happened there in Ireland was you had two bad harvest seasons and two or three bad winters. So people were just starving to death. Um, and then you add war to it, uh, where, where the men of various families were, were killed and, and the women and children were left to fend for themselves. And so it is very common uh, throughout human history that war leads naturally to famine. And whether you're a dispensationalist or all millennialist or a preterist or whatever, I think most see um, um, an order here that, that war will lead to famine. Famine, we see the fourth, the fourth horseman, uh, leads to death. Uh, so the fourth seal is broken, and we see a pale horse. Um, and uh, it, its rider has a name. It's the only rider with a name. His name is Death, and Hades follows him. So, so we almost have two horsemen here, um, and it's Death and, and Hades. Now, Death and Hades are always together in Revelation. Um, if you see Hades, you see death right before it. And death and Hades are eventually, later on in the book, cast into the lake of fire. So, so the idea here is, is the grave, um, some see it as death and the grave, some see it as, as uh, death-grave motif together with final judgment. Um, um, so you, you can do with that all you want. For you Marvel fans, the word for death here is Thanatos, where, we, where, uh, where you get the word Thanos. Um, the, the villain in the Marvel comics of, of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet series Thanos uh, kills half the universe because he's in love with death 
a lady death i think is her name um so so that that imagery in marvel is taken right from the greek language um but so 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 it makes sense war famine and, and death um i think most agree uh with those in interpretations um, um and then verse nine we get the fifth seal um here we see something completely different um it says the souls of those who have been slain there's that word which takes you back to to the third um or to the second horse, right? Slain. So those who have been slain for the word of God, for the witness they have borne, which which then it makes you wonder, is is what's happening in the fifth seal a result of the first four? So if we take, for example, the first uh, horseman to be the word of God sent out, okay, to conquer, and and what what the response to that is violence, particularly violence against the people of God. Well, that's consistent with what we see in Rome, even in the New Testament, but certainly after the New Testament is finished. It's certainly what we see now. Uh, you have more martyrs dying each year than, than any time in history. In fact, the U.S. Department just added Nigeria to, to the list of those who, who are, are high on the list of, uh, um, of attacking Christians. And of course, it's not like that's new. North Korea is always the worst. China is always there at the top. Open Doors Ministry always produces the uh, the list of the top ten countries that are anti-Christian. Uh, this this is consistent throughout church history. Right now, there are people suffering for the faith, and we're over here fighting over things that don't even matter, unwilling to share our faith. They're, they're going to die for it while they share the faith, and we're we're scared to death that our neighbor may hurt our feelings. Um, so, so, so one wonders, is, is the fifth seal the result? And so you, what you get is um, the souls of those slain. And what is it they are doing? They are crying out with a loud voice. So what you have is death in Hades. And to a certain extent here, you have death in the grave. But, but they're not in Hades, if we assume Hades is a, is a precursor for, for hell. Rather what they are, they're under the altar uh, in the presence of God. And they're crying out with a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? Blood on those who dwell on the earth. So, so remember, John is still his, his his vision is still up up in heaven. What he sees is perhaps those who have suffered as a result of the first four, not just people in general, but that the target of those first four horsemen is believers in Christ. Then they were each given a white robe. There's that imagery of white, which which is strange again. If the white horse, the white in the in the first horseman, is an evil entity. The Antichrist, for example, then then how is it in the same chapter? White represents holiness, purity, and and salvation, right? So so so, so you, you've got to put these images together and, and figure out how do they work, even though what they portray is is opposite. So you can say one represents peace, but why doesn't this one represent peace? You know. Um, anyways, uh, they were given a white right robe and told to rest a little longer till the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Um, striking text, isn't it? Really is striking. Something worth, worth meditating on. And then verse 12 starts the sixth seal. And there, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. Stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. 
calling to the, the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? It's interesting. It's the Lamb that has the wrath, not the lion. Striking, isn't it? I don't have anything insightful for you there. Just something worth, worth noteworthy. What you have here in a nutshell is what the Old Testament describes as the great and terrible day of the Lord. Read Isaiah 2 and Joel 2 will be two references to look at, but it's found throughout most of the prophets. Um, and this apocalyptic imagery of the sky being rolled up, the mountains falling, and, and all that sort of stuff. I found, because I grew up dispensationalist, I found that we, we, I think we overthink some of this imagery. You know, that a mountain falling must be a comet or an asteroid. You know, I, I think we need to be careful with some of that. Maybe that is what's being described. I don't know. Uh, the, the sun turning, um, uh, the, the blood. Well, there is a phenomenon. I mean, we've all seen red suns, I mean, obviously. Um, but, but, allow the apocalyptic imagery to, to make its point is that the day of the Lord will, will show up in, uh, and, and it will be very clear even those who have slain uh, the martyrs uh, they will know that they are under the judgment of God and this is the day the prophets are, are, are awaiting and this, and this is the day anticipates Messiah but you'll note here that if indeed the sixth seal is the great day of the Lord as as most, not all I don't think dismissations hold this but most would, would see it um, that way um, you were in chapter 6 the return of Christ isn't until uh, much later one of the things I do wonder about Revelation um, and I could be wrong on this there may be, be a cyclical uh, uh, approach to Revelation um, it, so, so you can take Revelation as a chronology of how everything's going to happen Again, this is a dispensationalism. So what they have is the first six seals represent, let's say, the first three years, give or take. Okay, And then you get an opening of the seventh uh, uh, seal, which is seven trumpets. That's going to cover a few years. Seven bowls going to finish it out. and then so, so you get this very clear chronology. But I do wonder if there is uh, a cyclical approach to this um, that that not only describes the history of humanity, but will anticipate the end itself. I, I, I can't say for certainty, and you're certainly free to reach out to me if, if you disagree, but the sixth seal really looks like the day of the Lord that anticipates the return of Christ. Um, and, and if you read the Olivet Discourse, Jesus uses the same language. Uh, for for his his return. So what do we do with this? Uh, it, it's a lot. You're probably wore out, and I assure you, I'm wore out just to do this. This what's supposed to be a brief devotion. Something tells me this hasn't been brief. Two things that we we see here briefly. First is the providence of God. God is sovereign over the histories of mankind, and he's he, he's he's sovereign over the affairs of the world. And what we have here is is. Um, God is the one who's likely sending these. Now, there's some debate as to the voice of the living creatures and whatnot. Who, who are they speaking to and whatnot. Um, but it is clear that this is God's judgment upon the earth. Um, and by the way, I do think there's a relation between the four living creatures and the four horsemen. Perhaps one living creature um, spoke regarding each uh, horseman, but, but I, don't, I don't really know. And related to that is the juxtaposition between grace and judgment. So, so on the one hand, we have we have the judgment upon the earth, um, particularly in the sixth seal, the day of the Lord. We also see the the grace and the mercy and, and the peace of God given to to the saints in the in the fifth seal. Then we also see God's patience upon um, a broken world full of war, famine, and death. 
And so whether the first seal is Christ and his word or it's uh, a more malevolent being, I mean, I, I don't know. But regardless, we see in this chapter this, this, this struggle between God's gracious patience with mankind and his fallenness and, and yet at the same time the judgment of God upon mankind and his fallenness. There's a mystery there, and the mystery is resolved in the cross, where the grace of God and the judgment of God kiss. And that is why the cross must shape our entire theology. So there's a lot here. Chapter 7 will will be less action-packed, but still uh, of equal importance. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.